This is the Push Shift Podcast, a broad look at the hospitality industry. Um, so let's, let's get started. What's, uh, let's introduce yourself. How are you? What's your title? Yeah, um, my name is Trevor Callies. I'm the beverage director for the Donnelly Group. Uh, Donnelly Group is a group of pubs, cocktail bars, barbershops, coffee shops, um, enter the cannabis realm now really yeah uh i don't do a whole lot with the cannabis actually zero so far uh which personally i'm okay with that yeah uh, i don't really touch the barbershops outside of the ones that are attached to our cocktail mm-hmm. bars and then the pubs is pretty much where i spend all of my time and have you ever calculated how many seats in total you have because you have 18 venues seats Oof. no i've never done seats um i would say oh man i wouldn't even know where to start i think we're over Probably close to touching 2,000 seats total. Oh, son of a bitch. I don't know why that switched off, which is okay. Because it didn't push the cord. Which is fine, it'll work itself out. So how many seats total? I think we're probably close to 2,000 all in. <laughs> Maybe a little bit more. I mean, the, the, when you factor in Walrus, uh, which is our Toronto venue down on Bay. Oh, and, and that's like 250. That's, that's close to 1,000 itself. If you factor 1,000 seats? If we're full bore, it's like, I think it's just over 900. Because we've got 479 on the main floor. Yeah. Add another 150, 180 on the patio. Downstairs, another 150. Then you've got the Lovejoy coffee shop mixed in there, which is another 18. Like, it, it just grows and grows. I think I, last time, uh, you just opened Walrus last time I was here. Yeah. I didn't think you had the patio in when I was here. It was still... Is it just out the front and around yeah, the corner? It's on the uh, north side of the building. Okay. Right in that little courtyard below the CIBC building. Wow. So when did you start bartending? Uh, 2000. Age yourself? Give it something. Uh, the year 2000, I was 20. Uh, we're going through an English lit degree at UBC. Yeah. Started working at Earl's, the chain restaurant. It's now It was basically in Canada, the US, and now it's like all over the place. Everywhere. Everywhere. Um, was day bartender there, splitting like my time between going to university and you know basically just like doing the Earl's thing, yeah. which is like you know making Bellinis, pouring slushy margaritas, <laughs> making a whole bunch of cocktails that were like legitimately only Earl's cocktails. Yeah, yeah. There was no well, outside the box thinking. I always try to put perspective at time and perspective for people like two thousand. Like we're talking pre-internet ish. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking before Facebook, before. All these things that now the algorithm influences in the bartender world. Um, when you had to learn something, you literally had to go to the library and fucking find a book about costing or about that sort of thing. And it was not as it is today. Well, that was, I mean, 2000 was even before I cared. So, I mean, it's true though. I mean, I spent the first seven years of my bartending career trying to figure out what I was going to do when I was done bartending. Uh, it's uh, it was a different world back then, but when we needed to know something, we were pulling up the Mister Boston, oh, the yeah. New York Bartender's Guide, and like stumbling through how to make a Manhattan. Yeah. I mean, this is an era where we had a bottle of Angostura bitters last us two years. Yeah. Like, we just, what do you do with that I, bottle? You know what I used to Angostura bitters for? Cleaning my blenders. Right. Hot water, a couple of dashes of Angostura, give it a blend. Freaking cleans them perfectly. I remember <laughs> my original bar manager and I were really really close friends. We, we were friends well before we started working together. And we were trying to trim down inventory because yeah, at Earl's, yeah. that's what you do. Yeah. You know, you reduce bottles, you reduce, like, we had to count it every week. So, yeah, yeah let's get rid of this bottle. And we came apro- across Campari. And, you know, every bar has got a bottle of Campari. The year is 2003. What do you do with it? We're like, well, I don't know. We should probably taste it and find out. I was like, well, that's gross. So we, <laughs> we just ended up doing shots of Campari. What? To, to get rid of it. 
2003 shots of Campari. You were doing it before it was cool, but not in a way that we thought it was cool. We were literally just trying to purge that bottle. <laughs> and yeah, Pim, same thing. Kind of uncovered that little gem, and we're making like Cosmos and Apple Martinis yeah. and Raspberry Martinis, and like every every cocktail wasn't called a cocktail at Earl's. It was a martini. They yeah. had a martini menu, right? And, and then the cocktail menu was like the mojitos and the. Everything was a martini at that time. <laughs> Literally, everything was served in that V-shaped glass. Wow. Vodka plus fruit plus liqueur shaken equals no. martini. Martini. Right. So, um, where did you go from, after, like, you finished your degree? Yeah, I finished the degree. I, uh, I mean, this was the whole thing, right? I finished out my English degree not because I wanted to continue it down that road, but I would, by the time I realized I didn't want to be an English teacher, I was already two-thirds or three-quarters of the way through the degree. Well so Exactly. I mean, rather than drop out and do nothing, I wanted to, you know, at least finish that, get mm-hmm. that piece of paper. You know, having a, a university degree will help eventually, depending yeah. on, like, you know, that was my mentality back then. So, plus all that money yeah. was already invested. So, um, finished the degree, kept working at Earl's, was doing a ton of stuff for them. Like, uh, I was doing numbers, costing. Wow. I mean, that's the thing that Earl's does really well, is they tr- they, they teach the numbers mm-hmm. very, very well. I learned most of it at Moxie's. Yeah, and same thing, right? You get these corporate chains, and as much as, like, you know, their ethos or their mentality it doesn't really vibe as you go along, uh, they, do, they do costing extremely yeah. well. So I, I got to the point where I was just a really good numbers guy, right? Always been okay at math, learned how to use Excel really well. Uh, ordering was just like ordering and receiving. That was like mm-hmm. inventory was like my thing. I really enjoyed <laughs> it. Um, and then, so they had me doing costing for all the other places. Yeah. So we had a regions set up at Earl. So I was basically going around and helping other bar managers learn why their inventory was too big. Wow. Or why they're, you know, why they weren't hitting their target liquor cost or their... You know, why was this? 2005? This would have been, no, this would have been 04, 05. Oh, wow. Yeah. They had a wicked program. It was called Point Financials, I think, where, like, they had, like, the whole number set figured out. So they would calculate all your variants. It would give you a theoretical. Wow. Then you just... You know, you run your, put in your invoices, you put in your purchases, and then you put in your sales, and it would calculate the actual, mm-hmm. and then chasing the number, right? Yeah. Uh, I loved it. It was great. But they had me, like, updating prices and point financials and going around. Wow. Yeah, it was, all, it was a lot of fun. I was super young, but this is all, ex- like, I was doing a full-time bar job yeah, as yeah. well, so... Um, and, but really, even that, that era, like, we're only talking about metrics started around that time, like... Inventory, I, I feel anyway, inventory in most bars only really started getting serious, serious mm-hmm. in that mid-2000s. Yeah, I mean... Like I, outside the corporate chains. I, I mean, I wasn't around before that, so I, <laughs> I couldn't speak to it. But I do know, like, when we when I left Earl's, it wasn't for anything... Uh, you know, I, I left Earl's essentially because I felt a little bit stifled. Mm-hmm. I wasn't learning anything. There was no one teaching me anything. I was probably the best I was ever going to be with mm-hmm. that company. Like, I don't think I was GM ready back then. Yeah. And I, I, honestly, I don't think that they were going to like send me down that road which no fault to them I mean I was 24 25 yeah. years old like yeah probably wouldn't give me a GM job either <laughs> uh, but I w- so I took a side step and I went to uh, Donnelly Group uh, a couple of my buddies had already left the Earl's uh, the Earl's chain and gone to work for this guy named Jeff Donnelly who had three bars in Vancouver at the time so it wasn't even Donnelly Group I think it was called Donnelly Hospitality mm-hmm. Management back then but two of my buddies already switched over, started working in Sparkle Gramble Room. It was uh, like a hot, hot bar. Like mm-hmm. it was on Gramble Street, the nightclub district. Uh, but it was like this little tiny 88 seat cocktail bar in the middle of just like mayhem. Mm-hmm. Essentially, this is when the Roxy was at, like prime time. Caprice Nightclub had just opened. Uh, venue I think was called Plaza Club. Uh, Tonic. All yeah. these like 
and we were just this little cocktail bar um, that like, was really doing some cool stuff. Um, it was when I actually figured out that there was more to a cocktail than just fruit plus juice. <laughs> so I started working day bar there, actually. So at at Railroad? Yeah. I basically, that was the only job they had. So I basically quit Earl's and then worked my last inventory shift, trained the guy up to learn like how to do all the numbers yeah. and all the inventory and ordering and whatnot. And my, my last shift at Earl's was on Monday. My first shift at Gravelin was a Tuesday. Wow. And for a year, I did 12 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. Five days a week. Wow. Tuesday to Saturday. It was, I can't even fathom that schedule in my in my late 30s. Like, can you imagine only working noon to 6.30? Yeah. All um, the other stuff you could get done. Yeah. Well, that's why I would look at it now. Looking yeah. back, I'm like, oh, what am I going to do up to 6.30? I'm sure I'm going to go out for drinks. No, you know, I never, I, I didn't get into that. I, I didn't get there. Uh, I was done, and I went home. And then I maybe would go out for dinner. Uh, I mean, work. You want to talk about work life balance? Yeah. Work noon to six thirty. <laughs> uh, I didn't turn into the weekend warrior though. I was. Uh, it was great. I you know I picked up a second job. I was doing some nightclub bartending for like a minute, yeah. uh, just for some extra cash. I mean, you're not making a ton of money working yeah. noon to six thirty, but I was able to save a lot of cash. Like, you know, and day bar on Granville Street, like you're fifty fifty. Yeah, right. Yeah. It was like basically my life was even Steven. Like there yeah. would be days where I literally paid eight dollars to work because I had lunch. Yeah. Like, that was pretty much where we were at. But uh, the, the neat thing about working at a place like uh, at Granville Room at the time was, like, we had an actual cocktail menu. Mm-hmm. And it was split up between, it was super interesting because I, you know, martini guy, you know, I knew a little bit about, like, flavor profile and whatnot. But they had these uh, three different sections on their menu was house cocktails, New York cocktails, and London cocktails. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I was like, well, what, like. You know, I, I didn't really understand why each one, yeah. one of them was set up. And the house cocktails, I like, totally got. Yeah. Right? And then we were doing some, you know, things like flirtations. Like, still kind of in right. that realm of, like, the, the fruity martini and whatnot. But they, they were serving New York cocktails where it was, like, cocktails created by New York bartenders. Wow. Which I was, like, which, which threw me for a bit of a loop. Like, there's bartenders in New York. Um, <laughs> but, like, things like the 209 East, which is, like, a long-forgotten Dale DeGroff cocktail. And What's then, it? Uh, it was tequila, strawberry... Um, I'm pretty sure it was blue, like bluey purple. Yeah. Like, but I mean, these are like, I, I mean, I could probably dig up the menu, but that was one that I remembered. And then they had London cocktails and then classics. Mm-hmm. So basically cocktails that came from great bars in London because Jeff loved to travel. So he was spending a ton of time in London yeah. and a ton of time in LA, a ton of time in New York. So he was like bringing the, these ideas back wow. and making them go. And we had a pretty young, fun bar team in there. I mean, granted it was Granville Street, so there was yeah. a ton of vodka sodas, don't yeah. get me wrong. But like actually learning a Negroni or a fancy gin cocktail or a gin daisy. How, how shocked were you when you finally learned a Negroni? You're like, oh, that's what Campari is for. That's what Campari is for. It was, uh, I mean, but learning like things like the French 75 and yeah. the Pimm's Cup, like all of these ingredients that I've been looking at for the last five years and I had no idea what to do with them because that's not the Earl's yeah. profile. That's not their drink style back then. Um, it was an eye-opener for sure. And again, like put it into context, like you couldn't just Google what is Campari. No. And have a whole bunch of well, information. Google, I think up. Google was like, what, 2007? Yeah. So, like, it just, it, I, I always love when the youngsters are like, oh, I don't know how to do this. And, like, you have a supercomputer in your pocket, dude. Yeah. Fucking Google it. Exactly. Google. Like, I, I remember I, I still have those. Hey, Siri, what yeah, is Campari? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still have the episode, uh, the uh, issue of Australian Bartender that had, like, a five-page dissertation, almost, on how to cost out cocktails. Mm-hmm. And that's how, it, like, Australian Magazine did a massive thing about it. I think it was I think it was uh, Sean from Bar Metrics and Jason Jelicic at Reddit, mm-hmm. and like I remember them putting in all the formulas, 
And right. we highlight, I remember reading it on the train going, okay, now I know how to do this. I'll put it in Excel. So this was my first interaction with Bevin Co. as well. Mm. So Bevin Co. I think came in in 2006 to the Donnelly Group. And we still use them actually up to oh, today wow. um, for a third-party inventory system. But they, like, you want to talk about costing and inventory control yeah. and variance, like, those guys are like the liquor police, essentially. Yeah. Like not and not the bad liquor police yeah. that we all hate. Um, but yeah, no, it was uh, like learning how to do costing. I already knew how to do it all, so it was kind of like, you know, yeah. like let them do the hard, the hard, the heavy lifting, yeah. and then I can chase it all down. Yeah. But that wasn't my job at the time. I was like day bar. Yeah. Day bar went to night bar. Night bar went to bar manager. Bar manager went to GM. Uh, and I bartended slash managed at Granville for another five years. Wow. So basically. Five years at Earl's, five years at Granville Room before mm-hmm. I moved into the role that I am now, which is beverage, beverage director. Wow. So what, what year did you become beverage director? 2010. Uh, oh, so it's been some time now. Just after the Olympics. So I worked another two months after the Olympics and then uh, had a meeting at Cinema, which was our, like, about to open right before the Olympics. We didn't get it open in time. And the guys, other, we just, the guys decided that... I was already doing some cocktail development, yeah. like a menu placement and whatnot. Um, but they decided that rather than, because we had more venues and we had been growing, mm-hmm. um, they wanted somebody to actually go and spend time actually promoting a drink program, mm-hmm. which they'd always been passionate about, but they'd always been using consultants. So, oh, really? Yeah, I mean, various people, like uh, like Casey McKay, who you know, he yeah. was there before me, so he was doing some cocktail stuff. Ian McRae, who is now... Uh, I think he works for Browns as one of their uh, like art mm-hmm. like designers. Uh, but Jay Jones, mm-hmm. who I'm sure most people are familiar with that name, he came over and did a couple cocktail menus for us. And okay. that's kind of like, that was kind of the, the turning point in, in my career where I listened to Jay talk about cocktails. Yeah. And his, like, candor, his, like, the way he, like, paces himself yeah. when he has, a, you know, presentation and cocktails and conversations, really, like, that was the, that was the, the trigger, mm-hmm. right? Um and that was, I think, 06, like, 07 is when he came over and did that first menu. Mm-hmm. He was the guy who really just threw a huge wrench in the cog of Granville Street because he was talking about fresh muddled pineapple mm-hmm. and we're going to do everything, like, strawberry, but strawberries are muddled. They're not turned into, a, like, a syrup or a puree. And we're like, yo, man, that's not going to work. <laughs> like, I was that standoff bartender. Like, no, no, you can't expect us to do this about yeah. Granville Street. And it wasn't just the clientele. It was the fact that we were just so busy. Yeah. Like, how are you going to make, like, a... Like a muddled pineapple drink yeah. with a, a pineapple wedge garnish that's dipped in black pepper and mounted on the side of the glass. We're like, dude, not a thing. <laughs> but uh, no, he he figured it out. Like that that first cocktail menu was a game changer for yeah. for me and game changer for Granville Room as well. So in 2010, you take over as a beverage manager. Yep. How, or beverage director. How many pubs and how many pubs were right then? At the time, we had uh, eight. And okay. then a couple nightclubs that yeah. I was dealing with as well. The nightclubs were dramatically different, but uh, we had eight venues and then pl- uh, planning for another two more in the same year that I took over. Wow. Yeah. So how many venues have you opened now? Because I know there's some have opened and closed. Opened, closed, bought, yeah. sold. So, yeah. uh, we have 18 in total split across uh, Toronto and Vancouver. So Toronto's got four spots. Vancouver's got 14 mm-hmm. that I deal directly with. And then there's a couple partner venues as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how many have you opened personally? Like as the director? Oh, bar openings, uh, probably ten or eleven wow. in terms of like actual like getting like doing the work. Wow, yeah, that's intense. I mean, you're asking me numbers that I just like I try to forget all. <laughs> you know, venues open, it's running, just yeah, boop. and move on to the yep. next. You know, and you know, there's years where we don't open anything, and then there's years where we open like four bars. Mm-hmm. Like if if we 
we've got one that's in the works right now, and if we actually get it up and running, that'll be three in 2019. Yeah. Which is wild to me. Tell me about it. I'm yeah. doing three in Singapore in four months. Right. And just because that's the same thing is like you, you start working on leases or spaces or deals, mm-hmm. but then all, all of a sudden it's like everything falls in at the exact same time. You're like, ah, oh, crap, mm-hmm. now I've got three venues open when it should have been three venues over 12 months, but everything, the, the stars aligned horribly. While you're also trying to have a life. Yeah. Right. And that's the biggest thing is like you could, like a bar open can absorb your entire yeah, your entire day. Like, you want to talk about like managing minutes? A bar, like opening a bar, everything that can go wrong will go wrong, mm-hmm. right? The the draft system will fail. The CO two will basically like stop running. Mm-hmm. The you know the construction team will leave, but leave you with a massive mess. Yeah. I mean, and most of the times we're still like painting the walls when it's unlocking the door for the first guest to come in. Are you that hands-on with those sort of things? I, I mean, we all are, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah, it's, uh, which is something I appreciate. I don't really want a contracting team to come in and build yeah. the whole thing and then just leave us with a bar. It's like, yeah. we're pretty, pretty much everybody at head office level is involved in one way or another with the open. Like, and, you know, you'll see the owners pushing a broom to get cleaned up. And like, When it comes to, like, the, the openings and stuff, do you have a team for the beverage stuff? Or is it really you sort of tearing down, like... It's 50-50 whether or not I'm going to have some... It depends on where it is, mm-hmm. first of all. Um, if we're opening a place in Toronto, I've got a, a bunch of like awesome kids out here that yeah. are working with me now. and They're super eager, super excited. And Toronto is just a completely different city. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's like, what is it, quadruple the population yeah. that, that I'm used to in Vancouver. So it's pretty. It's a good market for people. Uh, but i got some good good dudes out here that are doing some great work. Mm-hmm. So it's easy for to like, hey, how do you feel about this cocktail like program that we're going to launch and then you work with the head bartender or the bar manager mm-hmm. to kind of tweak it so it makes sense for them and then it makes sense for what their interests are yeah so collaboration is is absolutely key um back in vancouver typically i will again start it by myself and then depending on who the team is that's going to open and be mm-hmm. the opening team it'll either be all me and then work with them after they we get open or it's 50 mm-hmm. we just opened ballyhoo um in June or yeah, late June, right before Tales of the Cocktail, yeah. and I had Cam Brown there, so Cam it was Brown very, about town. very much fifty-fifty. Like, hey, like, what are you, what are you working on? What are you excited about? Oh, he told me it was all him. Oh yeah, I mean, that sounds about <laughs> right. I mean, I thought I was being generous in fifty-fifty, um, but if he wants to claim it's all him, great. He can. You have do it. have some loyal kids that like yeah. would like basically bend over backwards for you. Yeah, I mean, and that's just I, I, I love like everybody that works for me. It's great. Yeah. They're they're awesome people and. You know, the bar world is so transient. Mm-hmm. Like, there's always a new opening, a new hotspot. Like, a lot of guys, like, love to run around and chase that money. Yeah. But, I mean, it's it's pretty cool to develop relationships that last longer than, yes. you know, six months of the bar open honeymoon. So, you opened up Bally, Ballyhoo, mm-hmm. and then went straight, did you do Tales this year yeah. as a cap? Yeah. Uh, basically, while we were trying to open Ballyhoo, I was also trying to plan and prep and get organized wow. for Tales of the Cocktail. So, it was, uh, yeah basically sitting in a construction site all day and then when the construction team was done it was like laptop open calculating recipes coming up with the liquor order for tails I'm curious because I asked James Grant the same thing yesterday because I know he wants to be a cap next year and he's being the trash panda this year he's like mm-hmm. you're super accompli- you're super accomplished like you have a massive job with a massive amount of workload what draws you to things like cap program at tails like I know you've been doing it for a really long time um, probably uh, but every year you go back <clears throat> Well, I mean, the way that I do tales is quite a bit different than most people do tales. I went down to Tales of the Cocktail in 2009 uh, as a consumer. That was my first experience with Tales of the Cocktail, not knowing really anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it in the back of an Imbibe magazine. Uh, literally, I saw the ad. Yeah. I was like, oh, what's this? And it happened to fall literally on my birthday. 
Oh, nice. So I managed to persuade uh, Meg to, it was her birthday is the day after my birthday. So I managed to persuade her, I don't know how, I probably can never get this accomplished ever again, but I persuaded her to spend our birthdays in New Orleans at a cocktail conference. Okay. Uh, so we went down, had an amazing time, you know, found the William Grant's welcome party yeah. at Hendrix and watched a burlesque show. And then all of a sudden I'm in a bourbon seminar with like, you know, some of the distillers that I've only ever heard about yeah. or like read about. Uh, huge eye opener. Uh, but I did see the caps running around, like doing all this heavy lifting and my thought process while I was sitting there watching these guys do all the work is like, well, that looks like fun, but I imagine you have to be an American or probably mm-hmm. live in New Orleans or be like somebody who knows somebody. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, a shithead bartender from Vancouver. Yeah. Like I'll never be able to do that. But then Tails came to Vancouver uh, yeah. and they, for their first on tour. Um, and that's when I applied to be part of the cap program, not knowing, again, not knowing a whole lot about it outside of the fact that they do all the work. Mm-hmm. And that was basically what the application said. It's like, you know, you'd be a cap, you do a lot of work, you work long hours, and you cut lines, mm-hmm. and you juice lemons, and all that good stuff. But that's the part of the job that I've always really liked. Mm-hmm. It's like the heavy lifting that goes into before the drink. Yeah. Like, I love doing prep. I love doing organizational stuff. I love, like, coming up with pars and stuff like that. So, uh, but also meeting guys like John Darragon, Don Lee, yeah. Mike Ryan, like, the whole crew of caps that came before me was, like, really humbling because mm-hmm. these guys are the guys that are you know the opening team at PDT yeah like okay I'm now working with you <laughs> perfect um, so I got hooked on it like I got hooked on the actual cap lifestyle uh, it was a fun party yeah. but then you work really hard and then it's a really fun party and then you work harder again so I did on tour went and then got invited to go to New Orleans and do the, the big show oh wow which is um, dramatically different than Beast. a non-tour Came back to Vancouver, did on tour again, back to New Orleans, and then it was New Orleans, New Orleans, New Orleans. Um, but slowly and steadily, they, they, within the work that I was doing back home and with the Donnelly Group, and then the stuff that I was learning down there, they groomed me or developed me or mentored me, whatever word mm-hmm. you want to use, to actually take over and start managing that program. Oh, wow. So in 2014, they put me into the black coat position, mm-hmm. which is basically middle management. Yep. And then from there, uh, the following year was the white coat, which yep. is upper management. And then this year was the first year that none of the guys that had been before me were actually functional at Tails. This oh, year. wow. Well, they were doing their own thing. Like, they're all yeah. presenters and everything yeah. else. But it was a... Uh, I mean, I love going back there because now I'm in the position where it's, yeah, it's still hard work. Yep. I'm not the one juicing mm-hmm. unless it's an emergency and then I'm like, all systems go. Yep. But it's like doing the prep work and then being able to read all those applications mm-hmm. that all these people from all over the world are sending in. So I go back for that, the people side of it. Yep. And obviously the work is great too, but like meeting 60 new people every single year and like developing friendships and relationships. You know, we had caps from South Korea Wow, Ghana, Kenya, like meeting these people and seeing how they work and bringing all those new new views. That's why I like to go back and do it. I mean, I'm sure there's there's got to be a, a an end game yeah. to that. Like now, I'm kind of thinking, well, how do I get somebody to come in and backfill yeah. all the things that I do? So that's the next like year and a half to two years. It's like, all right, well, who's next in line? Because mm-hmm. it's been ten years. Is there uh, a plan? What's the what's the end game for you? Your position at like Donnelly Group? Like, what's? Uh... Oh, I mean, again, I don't know. I mean, we we spent a lot of time looking for people to kind of move into like a regional mm-hmm. role or move into like an assistant mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um, the right person's gonna rise up, and yeah. and you know, me starting as day bar. 
back in 2005, yeah. and then the day bar, night bar, night bar, bar managing, like that, that hierarchy, that ladder. I mean, that's what I'm looking for, is to mm-hmm. someone to come in and then get inspired and then stick around and kind of go that ladder. I don't think it'll take them six years yeah. to, you know, get to the point. But um, I, I love the idea of growth within an organization mm-hmm. and, like, hiring from zero and then training up mm-hmm. and then getting those people to inspire. But the unfortunately, the bar world just doesn't always work like that, no. you know, because people want to climb up and they want to run their own program mm-hmm. and they want to go and manage their own venue. And there's so many bar owners out there. And so much money in the system. And not enough not enough good people. Yeah. So end game for me, I mean I'm happy I'm really happy doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they the guys that I work for afford me so much time and opportunity. Like my schedule is my schedule. I don't get micromanaged, which is great. Awesome. But I do the work. Yeah. Like, you know, like I, I create my own deadlines and then I meet them. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like that's like we the, they would be so happy if I did a quarterly cocktail list. Yeah. And just like did it all, but it's like, oh, maybe we don't need a quarterly. Maybe we need biannually. Yeah. So, I mean, f- moving forward, I, I think they're still poised for more growth. Um, you know, 14 is a lot of venues to for, for yeah. one person to kind of oversee. And, you know, we already talked about how great it is to have good people working at those places. And I think every single time we open a place, we'll just bring in more great yeah. people and somebody will kind filter of through. filter up. Yeah. Awesome, buddy. Well, I appreciate you sitting down. I know that you've got a busy schedule. And when's your seminar today? 2.15. Uh, I'm really excited. I'm basically going to have the exact same talks. It's yep. really good prep. <laughs> but yeah, it's all about better bar managing. Sweet. Yeah. So uh, I appreciate it. I've got a lot more podcasts to do today. You're great. Well, thanks. thanks a lot for having me. Thanks, buddy. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I really enjoy sitting down with friends and people who I haven't met before or mentors or people I idolize and uh, fanboy out a little bit. Uh, I really hope you enjoy uh, the episodes and uh, everything you get from them um, because like, I'm just going to keep loving doing them and they're just going to keep happening. But uh, I recently started working uh, with Beyond Footwear out of Toronto. Um, Beyond Footwear is, if you've w- looked at my Instagram or my social media, uh, my uh, fantastic shoes that I wear around, uh, my pink flamingos get a lot of attention um but I, i've started working with them as their brand ambassador so if you go to beyondfitwear.com so b-i-i-o-n footwear.com and order a pair of shoes and type in my name and hopefully if you're listening to this podcast you know how to spell my name you'll get 20 percent off a pair of shoes um i really enjoy them I, they're comfy as hell i travel in them i work in them i do absolutely everything in them um and i really enjoy working with these guys it's an amazing company out of toronto and i am thankful that i have been given the opportunity to be a brand ambassador so i want to thank everybody for the support for the podcast i want to thank everybody for uh following along on social media and uh if you want a cool gangster pair of shoes you've got to have a pair Beyonds. See you guys. Bye.